really got to try on that left hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty head over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit to make this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show for news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. My name is David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I'm easy to find on all your socials, and you can always drop an email to the scrum of the earth at gmail.com. Well, compared to what we usually cover, there was a lot less action this weekend, and a lot of it was a little on the frustrating side. But either way, why don't we just get this show on the road? Okay, starting as always with our current updates, I'm sure the vast, vast majority of you know that it was Super Bowl Sunday this weekend, just yesterday as I record this, in fact. I haven't actually watched a single down of NFL action all year, but it is a tradition here to have my BFF come over and watch the Super Bowl with us. Um, It's just always a great time. She brings some sort of snack and, you know, a selection of beers, and we mix some sort of main course and a bunch of apps in the lead up. I also like to make an honorary cocktail that has some connection to one of the team's locations, but more on that later. Um, side note, this past week is the week when the rugby podcast I listen to feel compelled to briefly mention the Super Bowl. And, you know, for several years now, it's been highly likely that the Kansas City Chiefs will be involved. That means the people on this podcast tend to say things like, oh, yes, I think Kansas will win. They're very good. I would bet on Kansas. So quick tip for my friends overseas. The Kansas City Chiefs are not located in Kansas. They're located in Kansas City, Missouri. So feel free to use that little factoid next time someone down the pub says they're rooting for Kansas. Anyway, the, the game itself, it's pretty exciting, I guess. It took four and a quarter hours. And I know the halftime show is, is extra long and all that, so that's the way it goes. Chiefs ended up winning. Uh, you know, If they were my team, I might rack it up to one of the most exciting games I'd ever seen them play, winning in overtime, uh, a heartbreaker for Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, and the Niners. But uh, yeah, good stuff. I'm glad that I don't have to do that again for 12 months. He's stupid. He's People have to know. Yes, Isaac, it is more good news this week, especially if you're an Australian fan. So quoting here, Maddie Levi and Eva Carpani have been recognized for their standout performances last year at the Rugby Australia Awards in Sydney this week. Seventh superstar Levi was presented with the Sean McKay, maybe McKay, I'm not sure, award for Women's Sevens Player of the Year after a year in which she was a key asset in securing Paris 2024 qualification, scoring a record 57 tries in the 2022-2023 season along the way. In addition, she was also a nominee for World Rugby Women's Sevens Player of the Year last year. Levi said that after receiving the award in Sydney, quote, it was a pretty exciting year for me. I guess I've just grown as a player and an athlete, and I continue to build on that. So on to top it off with those accolades, it just shows how hard that I am working off the field. Once again, I probably couldn't have done it without the girls beside me. They set me up and make my job look a lot easier than it is. We work so hard on that strength and power and speed. So those skills I'm just building on as a player, which makes it easier to take the, uh, to the outside. That's something I've always had, the ability to back myself on the outside. And then if all else fails, I can carry strong. Whilst building that speed and power, I can continue to build my game, unquote. The 21-year-old also reflected on the 2023-24 HSBC 7s series so far, which has seen her team uh, secure victories in the first two rounds in Dubai and Cape Town, but not last time. Um, Anyway, despite opening round elation, two red cards for dangerous tackles have seen Levi sidelined for portions of the games that followed. She said, quote, 
it's a bit of an emotional roller coaster. Dubai and Cape Town were such unreal tournaments for me, and I just showcased what I've been working on in preseason. Two little setbacks, but as I said, I've got the girls who are like my sisters beside me, and they've helped me deal with it. And they came out and absolutely smashed Perth, facing so much adversity. And uh, Walshy, that's Tim Walsh as well. It's good because I've got something to work on. And tactical technique is definitely a main focus of my training now. I guess it's the highs and lows of sport. You've got to experience them all. Last year was so good, so a little bit of adversity now, but I'll be back better than ever, unquote. Fellow countrywoman Carpani was awarded Wallaroos Player of the Year for the first time after a breakthrough year. The barnstorming tighthead prop scored three tries in Australia's memorable victory over France and contributed a magnificent solo try against Wales in the inaugural WXV1 tournament last October and November. In addition, she started all eight tests in 2023 and was named in the top five for carries for any player during WXV1. Quote, to be honest, I was just happy to be here, happy to be with the girls and to reunite after a year. I don't think an award really shows how much the team has done in this past year, so I'm genuinely humbled and grateful, unquote, the award winner said. Quote, because of the players who have come before us, we've been able to build to where we are now. We've learned a lot along the way. And with the senior team we have now, I have a strong hope in them to enable us to have a stronger connection for the upcoming years. I'd love to change the image of a tight head prop that we can be versatile and agile, not just a powerful ball runner, she added. I forgot to close the quote there. After some stellar results in 2023 for Australia's women's teams, this year stands as vital preparation for 15 teams globally in the buildup to the Women's Rugby World Cup in 2025. Quote, I have so much confidence in this team and it's going to be hard work, but I have all the confidence in the world for us to build uh, in a pre-World Cup year, Carpani said. What got us there, beating France, firstly was belief, but after the game we had against France, it was just a lot of backing even more. We had our uh, supporters backing us since day one, but it was just an electric feeling in the changing rooms afterwards. It was exciting to see genuinely what we could do in this year before Rugby World Cup 2025, unquote. So with the Pacific Four Series fast approaching and Joe Yap now in place as the Walrus new, uh, new head coach, Carpani also looks forward to learning from the former England captain's experience as a player and coach, quote, she brings experience as she was a player for England. She has captained her country. It would be nice to gain knowledge from her as a player, unquote, she added. From the men's teams, Harry Patterson was awarded the Sean McKay, McKay, McKay Award for Men's Sevens Player of the Year. And Rob Valentini, woo, Bobby V, won the John Eels Medal to complete the major awards, unquote. Great stuff going on in Australia, at least mostly for the women. Okay, moving on to our thoughts of the week, and my thoughts this week actually keep us down in Australia, as I found a nice little piece about Joe Schmidt and his plans to start the recovery process after the near-fatal bout of Eddie Jones they contracted last year. Uh, quoting here again, quote, While the new test season is still months away, new Australia coach Joe Schmidt has hyped up the importance of Super Rugby Pacific in helping all Wallabies players become the best versions of themselves. The new Super Rugby Pacific season will get underway in just over two weeks' time when the Chiefs host the Crusaders in a grand final rematch at FMJ Stadium Waikato. But across the Tasman, Taniela Tupo's Melbourne Rebels will look to upset the ACT Brumbies later that night. It's the start of a new era for both the Wallabies and Australian rugby as a whole. Australia's shortcomings from Eddie Jones are now nothing more than a memory. Yeah, God. Uh, with that in the past, Australian players have an opportunity to step towards a brighter tomorrow at Super Rugby level, and it's important they do just that. The Brumbies charged in the semifinals last year with a win over the Hurricanes, and the Reds also upset the previously undefeated Chiefs during the regular season. These results are a positive step in the right direction, but as Schmidt discussed, competitiveness over a consistent period is crucial for Australian rugby's growth ahead of test matches. Quote, I want the Super Rugby teams to be super competitive, Schmidt told SEN 1170. <laughs> wow. 
AM radio. Uh, the more competitive they are with the other Australian sides and New Zealand sides, the more confidence they will bring into Wallabies camp. Hopefully they can remain uh, relatively injury-free because the depth we will need to be tested if we started getting injuries in the same position, the more individual progress the players can make through the season will be really important. Unquote, uh, former rugby uh, world rugby coach of the year was the... Oh man, I'm sorry. This is my first time reading through this, and it's got some errors in it. So the former uh, World Rugby Coach of the Year was unveiled as the Wallabies' third coach in as many years at a press conference last month. It's a major coup for rugby down under. Schmidt, who famously led Ireland to a first-ever win over the All Blacks and a surge up to first in World Rugby rankings, was most recently an assistant coach with New Zealand during last year's run to the Rugby World Cup final in France. With a coaching CV that speaks for itself, which highlights constant success wherever he goes, Schmidt has called on Australia's best to step up in 2024. Quote, the players need to take ownership of their own drive and motivation, Schmidt said. They need to be better day to day and be a little more collaborative. There needs to be preparedness to be the glue between players and for teammates to depend upon them. I want them to be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. That would be a fantastic start. Winning is an outcome but you don't have a lot of control over it. You must prepare yourself and establish the process. Well, I'm excited for the Joe Schmidt era to begin. Uh, I mean, it obviously couldn't be any worse. Holy cow. Okay, that brings us to our reviews for the weekend. Oh, boy. We're going to start again with the men's Six Nations, where it was round two. One of the most frustrating rounds I've ever watched. Um, we had two fixtures on Saturday and, of course, one on Sunday. It all kicked off at 9.15 where I am with Scotland hosting France. According to my poll, most of you thought Scotland would end up winning by about a 4-1 to one ratio. But I, I was scared to death. I thought France would be so angry from the previous weekend that they might come out and absolutely pants Scotland. I was honestly expecting something like a 21-point victory for Les Bleus. Uh, including their first meeting in 1910, these teams had played each other 102 times before the day, with France leading the series 59-40 to 40 with three draws. Uh, interesting stat, when you look at each team's uh, largest scoring total, both teams set their records on the road. That's a bit of an odd duck. Uh, Scotland's longest winning streak in the history is five between 1925 and 1930. I think it's fair to say my recollection is a little dim of that era, but France had a win streak of 10 between uh, 2007 and 2016. I am... Definitely still feeling a little salty about this one, not going to lie. France looked much better than they did last week, but Scotland were absolutely up for it. Finn giving another masterclass in kicking all day long. They led almost the entire match. At one point, the comms said, quote, we haven't seen much of Damien Penno today. He's been redundant on the wing, unquote, which had me mouthing, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up at the screen. But fortunately, Scotland managed to keep him in his stable. It's frustrating. Because the history of my watching the Scottish national team is so peppered with poor results. Even when they're ahead and looking like a well-oiled machine, my brain just keeps telling me, just wait, there's only one way this will end. And today, not only was that true, it was just such an awful way to lose. It was 16 to 10 with a quarter hour to go. That negative part of my mind thought, well, that means when France score and convert a try, this one's over. That's, of course, exactly what they did, but added a penalty with just a couple minutes left to put it out of range of a penalty. Then the real heartbreak began with Kyle Rowe getting a brilliant breakaway for what looked like it must certainly lead to a try. What footwork that guy has. But as he got tackled, he knocked it on, handing it back to the visitors with for what should have been a game-sealing scrum. 
but it was Finn. By the way, side note, my son came over, recognized him and said, Ooh, it's Finn. I like him. He's the funny one. How good is that? Come on. Finn, he magically turned it over right as we were about to reach full time. Suddenly they were knocking on the door for an unreal comeback win. And I mean, if you're listening to this, you obviously watch this match. You know what happened. Um, this is kind of a summary slash paraphrase. Like, um, uh, where am I? So he, as he crossed the line, the, the, the ball got, not he, as they crossed the line, the ball got partially held up on a French player's boot before being, for me, very clearly grounded. But the ref's decision was held up, no try. He went to the TMO, who showed some pretty strong evidence it was grounded, even rocking the tape back and forth to show the change of height as it came down off the boot and onto the grass. Nick Barry was like, oh, yeah, oh, okay, I see it, and I'm going to overturn my decision. But the TMO goes... Uh, no, wait a sec. Let me show you a more confusing angle to put back uh, doubt back into your mind. McBerry's like, oh, uh, okay. I guess you're telling me it's not clear enough after all, so I guess I'm sticking with my original decision. For me, it was highway robbery. I mean, I was expecting a loss, but they won it. They absolutely won it, but it still gets chalked up as a loss. It was so much worse than it had gone the way I had expected as I try to calm myself down, I'm holding on to two things here. One, as soon as Nick Barry blew that double blast, Finn just smiled, looked as if he was all fine and fair, like everything's dandy in the world. No problem. That attitude then just kind of radiated it out and pervaded the whole squad. They were so genuine and gracious after being absolutely hornswoggled. And I felt like, you know what? If they're not upset, why am I? The only other thing was the expression you hear so often. If you lose a match because of a single moment, that just means you didn't do enough. And maybe that was true, but I'm still very bitter about this one. It was like a triple gut punch with that surreal ending. And in the books, it will always read Scotland 16, France 20. And I will now go throw up in my mouth again. Uh, just so this review isn't 100% one-sided, Biarre, oh man, he had another incredible performance. He is amazing. He shows us more brilliance every single time he's out there. What a player. Excuse me, I have to throw up in my mouth again. England, we're hosting Whale for lunchtime where I am, and according to the poll, once again, people were a lot more split on who would come out on top for this one. For me, I was again worried about a potential blowout, but I do have a history of underestimating this Welsh team. Uh, for you all... England were expected to win by just a vote or two, and I, I was hoping it would at least be close either way. Before today, these teams had met 141 times, starting in 1881, with England holding a small edge, 68 wins to 61, with a whopping 12 draws thrown in. Now that is a tight history. A yellow against the home team saw a little window of opportunity for the men in red, and they capitalized with a penalty try, sending the English down to 13 players. Quote, Wales must play with ambition, intoned the comms, but they also must be careful, unquote. On cue, Yoan Lloyd, in in what friend of the pod, Philip Atudiot, called a moment of naivete, got smashed by a toje right in front of their own goal, and in a blink, Ben Earl was over for an answering score. Not good. Uh, no Marcus Smith, by the way, little side note, I'm pretty sure they said he picked up a stinger in training, and that he might not even be available the rest of this tournament. I definitely hadn't heard about that, but, I mean, I guess that's good or bad news, depending on who you ask. Uh, late in the half, it was Tommy Raffel, who, by the way, should not be that shifty, given the guy's size. What's even up with that? Uh, he set up Alex Mann for a try as the clock bled towards 40. Alex Mann's second in his two appearances for Wales. They found themselves up 5-14. to 14. I can't think of a better way to get the mouth breathers in the stands from slurring out swing low. Please let that idiotic tradition end in my lifetime. 
So at the 62-minute mark, it was Dingwall getting one in the corner. But they missed the extras, leaving them down a point with a quarter hour remaining. Sadly, somehow predictably, a yellow card against Wales saw England go ahead off the boot of George Ford. You could feel the hope fading. Wales had only won three times at Twickenham since 1988. And down a player with five minutes draining away, it didn't look like that number was going to change. With only seconds showing, George Ford bumped Rio Dyer as he claimed a ball from the air and sent him into touch. For me, it was a pretty obvious penalty. Came to naught in the end, though. The refs didn't seem to care. England holding on 16-14. What a crusher. The body blows just keep coming for Wales. I suppose you could say they're, you know, they're better off than we thought, that it's a bright sign that they've been so, so close these last two weeks. But in the moment, it, it just feels like defeat. That also made it two games in a row where a missed or botched call right at the very end might have changed that outcome, and I am deciding to try to not dwell on it. On Sunday, Ireland, they were home to face Italy, and to paraphrase Han Solo, I had a bad feeling about this. Um, according to the poll, once again, most of you agreed with me, voting Ireland the likely winners by 83% to 17%, and the Azuri, they were going to need a miracle. Ireland had faced Italy 36 times since kicking off their rivalry in uh, December of 1988. They'd won 32 times to four with zero draws, and I mean, maybe that's what I should be rooting for? A little a draw? Anyway, a uh, quick little shout-out to Hugh from the Pirate Rugby Pod, who loves tracking attendance. The largest crowd that ever witnessed this clash was 77,686 at Croke Park in Dublin 14 years ago. So Ryle Nugent was on comms, which I always enjoy. And yes, that was me desperately reaching for something to look forward to in this one. It took Jack Crowley just seven minutes to find pay dirt for the first time. They, they cut away to a shot of Johnny Sexton at home, trying to find somebody to berate. Um, the Italian defense was working pretty well, considering they had nothing going on on offense. They were still scoreless, approaching a half hour gone, and they were still staring at a 19-point hole come halftime. <laughs> okay, full disclosure here. At one point, I, I kind of skipped ahead a little bit, and the score said 29-0 when I looked back. But a few minutes later, it said 24-0. <laughs> and in a moment of perhaps my greatest ever stupidity, I thought, just for a split second, oh, good, that's positive for Italy, as if they could somehow reverse points rather than scoring them. Now that is brain power. Anyway, as I was confessing that little tidbit, James Lowe smashed one down to actually make it 29-0, and I decided that was a good time to start crafting the specialty cocktail I'd picked out in honor of the Super Bowl for later. In case you're wondering, it's called Kansas City Ice Water which somehow sounds like a diss on Kansas City, I guess, but uh, it was all I could find on short notice. It was my guess that if there was a San Francisco cocktail, it might have Goldschlager or something gross in it, so I went with the AFC drink, so to speak. Anywho, this one eventually, mercifully, did end Ireland snaring a walk in the park, 36-0 win at home, and they look well positioned to win the whole thing. little quick side note to put a cap on round two. This week made me think about the odd relationship between being right versus getting what you actually want. Last week, I felt so sure my predictions were spot on, but I ended up going one for three and was very disappointed. This week, I went three for three, and I'm at least twice as disappointed. Uh, just saying, I guess. Okay, back over in England, the PWR carried on with a 2-2 two and two Saturday-Sunday split, with Saracens women hosting Harlequins women getting the round started. Saracens were not their usual selves, but they still had enough to put Harlequins to bed. They were up 12-7 at the break and went on to win 29-24, with, Mc, uh, with McKinley Hunt getting a hat trick. Uh, Quinn's score was flattered a bit by two tries just in the final 10 minutes, but they still didn't have quite enough to catch up at the Stone X. 
Loughborough Lightning versus Leicester Tigers women were in the later window on Saturday. It was tough. My Lightning losing at home to one of the bottom teams in the competition, 17 to 22. Loughborough did all their scoring in the first half, then kind of seemed to fall asleep a bit. Claire Gallagher's second try of the night, coming with just over five minutes to go, got her team their first lead, which they then pad with the Megan Jones penalty with the clock draining away. And if I hadn't chosen to support the Lightning, I'd have to feel pretty psyched for Leicester getting their second win on the season. Then on Sunday, we got things started with Exeter Chiefs women at home for the Sale Sharks women. Oh boy, and this one was definitely one Sale would rather forget altogether. The Chiefs absolutely hammered them to the tune of 64-5 to with Lauren Delaney, the single point of light for the visitors, getting her try in the 28th minute. Exeter, meanwhile, poured in a mind-boggling 10 tries with Claudia McDonald getting a brace in the first half. Okay, this is a totally random side question for anyone who knows. Please help me out. On the score sheets for the PWR on their, you know, on their official site, it often lists name withheld rather than listing a specific player. And I'm just wondering, what's that all about? Is that a glitch, like an error or an oversight on the part of the people in charge of the website? Or is it that the players have actually said, you know what, please don't share my name online? I have to imagine it's the former. It seems like the second thing, like if you watch the broadcast, you'll hear the name, so it doesn't make sense. But it can be very confusing when you're trying to look back through the stats, because in this case, three of the tries for Exeter are credited to name withheld, and I don't actually know if it's the same person or not. Either way, a dominant performance for a very good Chiefs team. Robin Wilkins getting a rub-your-nose-in-it try in the 79th minute to complete the devastation, and I wondered if this match would be remembered as the slaughter at Sandy Park. Finally, Gloucester Hartbury, they were back at home to welcome Bristol Bears women to wrap up the action for the weekend. It was a heck of a way to finish off this round. Both teams on three tries and two conversions until right before the death when Nell Metcalf, a name I wasn't familiar with, scored in the final minute to push the home team into the lead, taking down the Bears 24-19 in a heartbreaker for Bristol fans. The champs have been unbeatable, literally, this year. So I'm sure the idea of getting a draw must have had the Bears salivating, but I've said it here before, Gloucester Hartbury, they just know how to win. Matilda Hyatt, who I feel like I mentioned a lot, got another one for the home team, while Lana Skeldon got two of the three tries the guests would score on the night. So taking a brief look at the table, five out of our nine teams have played 10 games already, while the other four have nine in the books. Saracens and Gloucester Hartbury both have nine wins, but Saracens actually lost a game this year, which the reigning champions have not done. There's actually a lovely symmetry to the standings right now. Two teams in the 40-point range, two in the 30-point range, and two in the 20-point range. Though, of course, struggling down beneath that, it's Trailfinders on 13. Then it's Leicester with eight points from their two wins. Ooh, and the Sharks, they are feeding off the bottom with only three points and a single victory on the year. Ouch. Okay, meanwhile, over in France, the top 14 was actually taking a break. You know, my apologies. Last week, I listed out all these fixtures in the top 14, assuming they were going to keep cranking on. I just read the, the dates wrong, I guess. I thought we had another full slate on our hands, but they're actually giving their players a break. It's like some sort of miracle. Um, I can report that if they did play this weekend, Toulouse would have beaten, I don't know, three or four teams at the same time, with Antoine Dupont playing 12 and 13, while also being the water boy. More, come of uh, more to come, of course, next week when they are right back at it. Anyway, a category I'm just calling other. Yeah, I'm getting creative over here. Just to wrap up the weekend, we also had two sort of random fixtures. We had the Bristol Bears taking on this traveling Crusaders team at Ashton Gate. So 
I ended up signing up for another month of the Rugby Network to catch it. It was either pay seven bucks a month for that, which includes the Prem and the PWR, or show it a one-time three-pound fee to watch it through the Bears' internal website, Bears TV. So I just kind of ended up going with the higher value. So I knew it was going to be a bit of an odd one going in, and that it was, but it was still fun. The almost 20,000 fans on hand seemed to agree with Vigor uh, at the start. They set off a ton of fireworks, which lent uh, like an eerily beautiful shroud sort of surrounding the haka as that unfolded. The fans were very into it. This Crusaders team, they're such a motley assortment, as you'd expect. You know, several players you've never seen or heard of mixed in with players like Ryan Crotty, who was a borderline retiree back in 2015. Uh, Bristol, meanwhile, started the likes of A.J. McGinty and Kyle Sinkler, along many other top players. I assumed Kyle would be on a tear after being shunted out of Borthwick's England squad. Quote, the rain is absolutely lashing down, unquote, said the comms, and both teams were struggling a bit. No score after the first quarter of play. Billy Ketchup, he was running the show for the visitors, and while Luatua looked like he was trying to prove a point as a former All Black himself, I'd have loved to have been on a fly, a fly on the wall for the conversations over some beers after this one was all said and done. So it took a half hour, but the Bears, they nabbed the first points of the night, McGinty nailing the extras, but Crusaders had a response right at the intermission, and we were nodded at seven apiece, it was a very near thing indeed until Crusaders, man, they scored a couple bang-bang tries with maybe 16 minutes left, I think it was, and they'd add another one just for good measure. It ended up looking like a bit of a rout. It was 14-31 to 31 on a dreary night at Ashton Gate. And finally, my beloved Highlanders, the first team I ever followed, had a preseason match against the Hurricanes. This was also the week they officially announced their team captain for the upcoming season. Quoting here from the Super Rugby website, quote, Highlanders head coach Clark Dermody has today announced Billy Harmon as the 2024 Highlanders team captain. Dermody was complimentary of Billy's composure and skill set. Quote, Billy leads by his actions, especially on the field. He's very measured around his delivery of messages, and he's really calm, which is hugely important. He's one of our best players on the field and well-respected by this team for what he did last year. And I know he's looking forward to leading the team again, said Dermody. Uh, Harmon has played 34 games for the Highlanders after signing on in 2021, and his respect from fellow teammates is evident after being named the Players' Player of the 2023 Highlanders end-of-season awards, as well as picking up the Defender and Player of the Year awards. Harmon is also a regular in the Maori All Blacks, and he played in the All Blacks 15 during their Japanese tour and was nominated for the Tom French Memorial Maori Player of the Year in 2023, unquote. As for the game itself, Daniel Leonard Brown, he was over first uh, to get his team up just eight minutes in. Could this team turn out to be better than I had imagined this year? <laughs> as soon as I thought that, I wrote, don't get your hopes up. In the old notebook, last year was a very tough one. Uh, by the way, side note, how weird is the preseason in Super Rugby? I mean, I'm slowly convincing myself this is a smarter way to go when you're trying to get a handle in the preseason of like what you've got in terms of depth. But get this, this match was three 30-minute periods and the Highlanders named 30 players, while the Hurricanes named 38 players. Woo! Either way, Fakatava, he was next over the whitewash, but the Canes did get one back. At the end of the, the first third, it was 17-5. to five. Side note, I'll tell you what, if Tavatava Nawai ever gives up rugby, he can definitely fall back on a job as either, I don't know, a wrecking ball or a steamroller. The guy's got options. Anywho, I have to admit, this one was so odd, it made it slightly confusing to follow properly. But at the end of two-thirds, it was 38-12, to 12, and by the end, it was a whopping 52-19, to 19, if the result means anything at all. 
Definitely worth mentioning Sam Gilbert, who is a perfect six for six off the boot through 60 minutes. And if you're a Canes fan, you must be a little bit worried about what they showed today. Um, I have to say, though, I really like that they are constantly experimenting with variations in New Zealand. They, they could easily be like, yeah, we're really good at this sport and this is how it's done. But instead, they seem to try these little twists and turns every single year to see if they can just tweak it and make it better and better. And I really admire that. Keep it up, Kiwis, and see you in two weeks. Well, by the music, you'll know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the award goes to Finn Russell. Mr. Russell, you were incredible again this week. That makes two weeks in a row where you just looked like you were in complete control out there, especially with the skills you got off the boot. But the real reason you're the recipient of this most coveted award is when the final verdict came down, with the ref announcing he decided to go with the no-try, you didn't complain, remonstrate, or even blink, really. You just flashed that sardonic smile, put up a hand to high-five the French players next to you. That meant I was able to share a legit teaching moment with my son, who was as incredulous as we all were, by showing us all an undeniable, concrete example of good sportsmanship. I was like, imagine how frustrated, imagine how angry Finn must be right now. And now look at the smile on his face as he lines up to shake every hand on that other team. And my son literally said, wow. Finn Russell, the unflappable, congratulations. For you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. Well done and thank you, sir. Well, that brings us to our updates and previews. Six Nations is obviously on a break this weekend, so it's back to the grindstone for the URC, the PWR, and the Top 14. Prem's taking a nice little sweet break there. Must be nice. Uh, Starting with the URC, we've got two Friday fixtures, Scarlets versus Munster, simultaneous with Zebre versus Edinburgh. On Saturday, Lions face the Bulls first thing, followed by Leinster versus Benetton, Sharks versus Stormers, Cardiff versus Connacht, and Glasgow versus the Dragons. Just one match on the Sunday, it's Ospreys versus Ulster to finish off round 10 in the URC. In the PWR, lest you've forgotten, we've just got the one fixture. It'll be the champs, Gloucester Hartbury hosting struggling Sale Sharks women. Yikes! In the top 14, the early Saturday game will, will feature Lyon hosting La Rochelle, followed by a four-pack. It'll be by bordeaux Begle at home for Poe, Stade Francais versus Perpignan, Racing 92 versus Montpellier, Toulouse versus Oyonna, and then Bayon versus Claremont in the late slot. On Sunday, it's Cast versus Toulon, and doesn't it seem like Toulon are always part of the Sunday fixtures? Weird. Anyway, we've actually also got two Super Rugby preseason matches. I feel like I might have to give those a miss just for time. I am really looking forward to watching Moana Pacifica this year, though, so might have to take a peek at their game at the Hurricanes. Hurricanes? Hurricanes. As I've said in the last couple of weeks, rugby is about to go fully bunkers, and I am psyched. <laughs> Well, my friends, that does it for another week. I'm actually looking forward to getting back to normal business next week. Like, the Six Nations, it's incredible. But there's also something, I don't know, I can't think, I don't know if I have the word, kind of heavy about it. I don't think, that's definitely not the best word. It just, there's something about it that's exhausting, in a way, especially after a weekend like this one. Not a complaint, by the way, it's an incredible tournament. I love it. 
just an odd feeling, I suppose. Anyway, to all of you across the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well. It gives me great pleasure to be here today. Oh, that was neat. <laughs>